Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Welcome into uh, this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt. He's Larry. And I think this is sort of our final podcast during the Wizards' eight seeding game. So at, at the moment, uh, we're recording this on, on Thursday afternoon. The, the game is just sort of kicking off. So we'll catch up on it after the fact here. But at the time this recording, Larry, the, the Wizards are 0-7. So, so what do you think of this experiment overall for them? How did this go? What can we learn from this? Just what are your overall takeaways? Well, I, I think it's going to be different. Uh, for different guys, I think across the board, uh, it's going to be different opinions that are, are that are going to be talked about across the board with the players, but also the coaching staffs, and then also the front office. Uh, I think they're all going to have a different uh, vantage point. Uh, but for me, it was more of having uh, the opportunity to play, an opportunity to uh, understand what sort of system you're going to run next year, and see if any anybody fit into that system. Um, and then I think it was the ability to see who could uh, play multiple positions. And I think that that's huge uh, going forward. Uh, it's going to help with roster spots and things of that nature uh, when you can plug guys into multiple spots. So I look at it, you know, from a few different angles. We're on the same page, man. It's hard to gauge, you know, what you're really watching, you know, and how that's going to transfer into uh, a, a normal, you know, 82-game season, if that's what we have. Yeah, that, that's the other big question is, is what does next year look like? When does it even start? You know, I think a lot of times we talk about how players don't really get better, you know, skill-wise during the season and that off-season work is, is where you really improve. But just getting reps on the court, I mean, is, is big for anybody, especially considering how young these guys are. Is there anybody that, that stood out to you as this experience probably seemed positive for them? Like you saw some stuff from them that, you know, maybe you didn't see during the season? I think, man, Troy's commitment to uh, success and his commitment to uh, being an all-around player and, and, you know, really honing in on the things that's going to make him successful, and that's being, you know, having a versatile game. So I've really watched him. Uh, obviously, I watched him before uh, we had a chance to speak with him, but I've watched him a little bit closer uh, after we got a chance to speak with him. And everything that he said, man, he's actually, you know, trying to execute those things on the court. So he's really standing out to me. And I talk about the guy that, that looks really good to me uh, is, is Troy. And obviously, uh, Hachi is, is, is going to be it's going to be fine. I think he's going to fit well, sure. um, you know, with the, you know, with the with the pro team. I think yeah, he's going exactly. to fit well. <laughs> he's going to fit well there. But one of the guy I had a little bit of concern about, I just wanted to see what he was going to bring to the table is Thomas Bryant. And I think that, you know, in this pickup sort of format, I don't think that he's played as well as, as he thought he would or he hasn't really played as well as I thought he would uh, perform out there with everything that I saw coming in. You know, he's had moments where, like, there were a couple games where he put up, like, a 20-12 and 12 or whatever, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I expected to see is sort of uh, the man against boys, you know, look when he, when he had backups on him especially. But then other stretches, he just was kind of standing around, and I don't know how much of that is other guys not doing what they're supposed to or or just there's no cohesion there like that's what's really hard for me to get a sense for because a couple times even on offense he kind of stood there like palms up and it was just the other guys not run a play is the play breaking down is that just like you said this sort of pick up summer atmosphere and he needs maybe he benefits more from structure that's it's been confusing to me I think that those are those are definitely all good points. You know, I think structure creates that success, and, and many of us in the in, in the league, um, if you have structure, if you have that organized process, man, it makes you a lot more efficient. And when you're playing, I mean, this is really glorified pickup basketball, and everybody's looking to score, not necessarily making the extra pass. So it's it's really just kind of 
you know, lock in and, and, and understand where you kind of fit in at. You know, when you mentioned Troy specifically, and uh, again, I was, I was really like impressed by that interview. I, I thought he carried himself really well and I've liked what he's done on the court for the most part. But unfortunately, the one game, you know, everybody's been calling for this Troy Brown at point guard experiment. He starts a game against Milwaukee at point guard, and it's by far his worst game in the bubble. Is that just a coincidence, you think? Like he just happened to have a bad night, or do you think that's a bad sign for him in a role like that? No, I, I think it's uh, I think it's part of the process. Okay. You know, I think it's part of, you know, his, his learning process in, in the NBA game to play point guard is a totally different animal from any different level he's played, you know, the point guard or the lead guard. And again, you know, these guys that are playing point guard in, in the NBA have a lot of talent surrounding them. So you have to put that in, you know, bring that in perspective as well. But I think it's like everybody's experimenting. So, you know, the plays that you're running, you know, different things that they're trying to see, it may not fit what you're trying to do. So I think that a lot of things go into that. But again, you still have to produce, you know, anytime you step on the court, you know, you're figuring out a role, but, you know, you still have to produce and be effective, you know, in that role in some way. You talked to him specifically about the floater and there were a couple of really errant floaters in this game, like a 17 foot off the side of the backboard kind of deal. Like it, it looked a little rough. So he just seemed out of sorts from the start and, and not like the player we'd seen the rest of the way. Yeah. When, when, he, when he mentioned that floater or when we were talking about the floater, uh, and he mentioned how guys look at him, you know, when he shoots the floater. That is really consistent throughout the NBA. Yeah, right. Like, that is really consistent. That is one of those shots that if you can make that shot, you know, you're one of few. Sure. And if you're taking that shot, you're going to be questioned on why you're taking that shot. So that's one of those shots that I, I try to stay away from. And mm -hmm. I know, you know, a number of guys that I played with had that same sort of thought process. So when he mentioned that, um, the floater and how guys looked at him, you know, once he shot it, you know, I just kind of, you know, took a little chuckle inside that I know exactly what those looks were like, you know, shooting the floater. For me, when I, when I think of guys that shoot floaters, it's it typically guys that are a little undersized for their position, you know, like a, a Tony Parker comes to mind because he used to kill guys with something like that, you know, just a little flip up and, uh, you know, he was generally guarded by guys at least his size, if not bigger. Troy, for the most part, especially if they're going to play him more as a point, is going to be one of the bigger guys at position. I, I kind of was surprised that that was the area of emphasis for, for him to work on. That, that was sort of the one eyebrow raiser, you know, during our, uh, our convo. So why is that so hard to pull off in the NBA? Is it because guys are so athletic? The timing has to be perfect? Guys are so athletic. You're doing everything on the move. You know, obviously you take into account your restricted area. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just one of those it's just one of those deals where when you value each possession, you want to take some sort of an, an unbalanced attempt, whether it be, you know, a jump shot or you're getting all the way to the to the rim. And that shot just leaves a lot of gray area for error. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, a push on the hip. There's a there's just a lot of you know room for, for, for error on that shot. And that's why I've known, you know, just throughout my especially my NBA career you didn't really shoot many floaters. And if you were that guy, like you said, like Tony Parker, who was great at those floaters, uh, then that was a part of your game that like no one could mimic. Sure. And, you know, that was, you know, you know, very specific to you. And I think if you work on it, obviously you can shoot that shot. Uh, but if I'm, you know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, athletic ability, can't touch in the league, you got to put the basketball on the, on the backboard. If we're going to see him do it, this is the time to see him kind of throw him up. You know, I'd, I'd rather it now than... The next season, to, if you know, if he thinks it's an important part of his game, I'd rather the coaching staff see it in this environment than next year, where hopefully the games are more meaningful. But you know, the game you mentioned about, they at least look like more reasonable attempts. This one kind of looked to me like he he couldn't either get to his spots or or guys weren't where he thought they would be, and when he got stuck, he just kind of like hoisted it up. Yeah, like you said, you know, the, the coaching staff and, and and being aware that that's something that he's working on. I think that you should help a player advance that skill. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you can find a more efficient way to execute that play, then you're obviously going to go with the more efficient play. And with analytics and being efficient and analyzing every shot, I mean, they can tell him, tell anyone, you know, exactly what they're doing from a particular shot or position on the floor. Uh, shout out to Respect and Connexon that I have in my facility that, you know, can always show where a player is you know, on the court makes and misses. You know, we talked to him a little bit about his jump shooting and, he, you know, he seemed not to be bothered by 
some of the criticism he gets uh, about that area of his game. But to me, when you're doing something like a floater, that points to maybe a a lack of confidence in your jump shot to just pull up from 15 feet and and kind of rise above a guy. Does that that seem fair? That is correct. Yeah, that is correct. And we we spoke about it just completely just toning out, you know, what people are saying or not necessarily trying to prove people wrong, but playing the game uh, in an efficient way. And I, you know, I, I work with players all the time and, and I got a player here in St. Louis named Jordan Goodwin who shoots that same one-handed shot consistently and is not getting the results that, that he wants to get. And I'm just trying to convince these guys, you know, to shoot a regular shot, you know, shoot a jump shot. Uh, obviously, you have to work on your touch, but, you know, I, I try to get guys to stay away from shooting that, that particular shot. Jordan, if you're listening, Larry's telling you one more time, man, do not throw off that floater. Um, all right. There were a couple other guys and I try really hard, especially when we do this podcast to be sort of level-headed and fair about things and think about it from every perspective. But I have found myself very frustrated watching some of these games lately. Like I can't, it's hard to like turn the fan off on some of these and certain guys, I'm just like, what are, what are we doing out there? Like for me, the, the, the one I wanted to see more from of not the big names, but was, was Admiral Schofield and he's looked mm-hmm largely pretty bad in, in most of his minutes and it's her his kind of his first real NBA level exposure I think so I guess that's to be expected but I think the the reason they kind of took him was because you know the way he's built and the way he carries himself he would be more NBA ready than than some of the other options in the second round but he has not looked NBA ready at all what have you seen there well, I think this was a, is a hard welcome for any you know young player that's coming in the restart of the bubble. I mean, I haven't seen games. I mean, you don't see games played this hard. You know, obviously, it's it's a crazy time, but these are really playoff games mm-hmm. that some of these teams are playing in a, that are not playoff ready, and the players aren't at that level where they can compete at that high level. Uh, this restart has been great basketball. Uh, I'm not sure these young guys are getting you know mixed in. Uh, to all of this high-level execution that's going on and high-level competitive things that are, that are going on now. And that's what I see. I see these, these younger guys not really understanding the concepts of the NBA game, whether it's spacing, whether it's angles, and it's just putting them behind the eight ball. So they're late on rotations or they're late to the spot. And once you get affected on the defensive end, your offense is going to struggle. Um, and, and because a lot of times that's what the coach is putting their emphasis on if you're a young player and they're constantly telling you that you're in the wrong position on defense, it's going to affect your offense because that's that's where your focus is at. And that's what I've seen with a, a lot of these guys in Schofield also, is that it's like they're running around, you know, like a chicken with their head cut off yeah. because they're trying to get to these spots. And mainly it's on offense. On, I mean, excuse me, mainly it's on defense. Offense, they're kind of relaxed and just playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've seen is that the defensive end uh, for these guys has been a struggle. And I would assume that that's, you know, making its way over to the offensive end as well. You made a comment maybe two podcasts ago about um, the difference between actually rotating and just sort of running around. And this has looked a lot like running around. I mean, it's, I've never played at the NBA level, obviously. I've never coached at the NBA level, but to me, certain things sort of translate across all levels of basketball. And it's, if one guy steps over to help, the next guy up has to help him. And it's a system of trust. And, And these guys seem like, I don't know, maybe they don't trust that the the guy behind them will have their back, but they're not stepping up to help. You know, somebody gets beat on the perimeter, Thomas Bryant looks hesitant to step up, and Hatchamore is not sliding over behind him. It just looks like they're completely out of sync. Yeah, and, and that's a culture, you know, that, that's built in. You know, they don't have John there. They don't have Brad there. They don't have these guys that are, you know, that are built into the culture of how they want to do things and how they want to operate. So, obviously, they have the accountability of the coaches, but they don't have those guys that are hands-on that are telling them how to do things. Your, your coach may have this process or this structure on how to do things, but the players really know how to get those things done, you know, how to take two more steps early in the play as opposed to waiting till that ball is, is swung to take a step over so you can be in help. So I think that that's – they don't get a chance to experience that. I think they'll be fine. And like you speak of that, I was watching against Boston. Uh, Cantor came across on the cross screen. Uh, no communication by, I think it was, it was Thomas Bryan and, and the guard. It, it may have been uh, Troy. And Canner ended up with the basketball probably two steps off the block. And he was in a, it was a triple team. It was, there was three guys guarding Cantor on, you know, outside the block. 
You know, we're talking schemes and we're talking rotations. The thought process is right. The mindset is right. But the execution is off because there's no communication and there's no, uh, you know, form of structure on how those guys are moving in real time. Now, they've gone through it in shoot around. They watch it in practice. But we're talking about real time and just game like situations. That's what they're lacking from, you know, from my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the NBA game is so much faster than any other level. And, and like you said, no walkthrough in a ballroom for practice is going to kind of make up for that. But what you just talked about, I think, was the most evident in the Milwaukee game. You know, obviously, Giannis got kicked out early in that game for, for headbutting Mo Wagner, which I didn't understand what was happening while it was happening. But overall, they're, they're a well-coached. Even their young guys seem like veterans, you know what I mean? Like everybody seems to buy in and know their role there. and they just sort of picked the Wizards apart with Mo Wagner's guarding Giannis and someone sets a pick and both guys stay with Giannis and leave, you know, uh, I'm trying to think which guarded even would have been in a couple of these situations, but both guys stayed with one person. There was no switching or, or they switched to both guys left, you know, and left Giannis alone. It was just this sort of breakdown in communication looked the most evident there. I think. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks bad. And as fans, we, you know, we want everything to, you know, to be right. But again, like you said, the game is moving so fast and they don't necessarily have a veteran pushing them into a spot that they're supposed to be at, right? I mean, if you look at some of these teams, I mean, you'll, you'll see a guy, you know, literally push a younger guy into yeah. the spot where they're supposed to be. I mean, that, that happens very often. And when you don't have that support, you know, you don't have that communication. And that was one of the things too, I wish that we could, you know, eliminate the background music that's playing and really hear the communication of the game. I thought that, I think that that would have been a fun way to to watch you know a few NBA games, yeah. uh, but I don't think that those guys have that you know that backline communication to push them into the spot. Coaches are a long way; they're a long way off the court, so you don't have that quarterback you know on the court, offense and defense. Normally, a veteran guy who's built into the culture, you know, it, it's tough, and you can see it, man. If those guys just look young. How much, like when you're on a court in an NBA game, and obviously this is different because there are fans when you're when you're playing your games compared to this, but can you even really hear anybody on the sides, like unless you're really trying to listen in to something someone's saying? Not really, man. Not really. It's it's like, you know, you got headphones on. It's like the, you know, the, the noise canceling like headphones. You're kind of aware that things are going on, but it, it's it's really like air. Yeah. And and it's it's a funny way to to, to talk about it and describe it. Uh, but you're, you know, you play tennis, so you, you know, you've, you've zoned out, you know, and, and locked into to your situation. So, you know what I'm talking about, but yeah, man, you, you know, you use the crowd, you know, for that, that energy source, but as a professional athlete, you're able to turn that noise cancellation on and where it's just, you know, just kind of space. And you really play the majority of those minutes just in that, in that noise space or cancellation space. That's kind of what I figured you were going to say, and and I was wondering how different this is that for you know for them, and how much more they can focus on if a coach is yelling something out. I, I would assume it's still probably pretty hard because, like you said, you're you're focused on what's happening directly around you. But of the teams we've watched them play, and the other games I watched, they're the team I've heard the least chatter from. Um, there was there was one in the first few minutes today where. Uh, Mo Wagner yelled at Jared Utoff on defense. Like you could just hear him yell and point. So I was like, "Oh, okay, that's the first time in this bubble I can really remember an example of somebody vocally being heard on TV for for calling something out." Yeah, and and that's really important. You know, that's really important. You've heard a number of coaches speak to players that are really you know using their voice. Um, you know, not you know not just to dominate, but just to com communicate to their teammates, get everybody in the right position. Uh, that chatter, uh, bringing your, you know, bringing your own energy. Um, a quiet gym is a losing gym. I mean, we've heard that, you know, growing up forever. And that, that's that's really true. I mean, that's really true. When you just think when professional guys go back and play with high school kids or college kids, just how much the, those kids are in awe about, you know, how much we talk. I mean, we would talk about everything. Sure. Um, you know, so that would have been, for me, that would have been great to, great to watch a game uh, just, you know, about communication. You know, I think as fans, it's it's hard to say, how did this team go 0-8? You know, like, I'm hoping by the time we're done recording this, they'll have finished 1-7 and because, like you talked about, from a pride perspective, it would be nice to win, to leave there with at least a win under your belt or, or close on a win, regardless of who's playing for Boston. But the, a lot of the chatter around the team has been, 
this is embarrassing by Scott Brooks. He's got to get fired. Like, how could the team go 0-8? And, and the same thing with the players. My, my personal opinion is you can't draw much from the coaching experience from this. I'm not the biggest Brooks fan overall, but I think it's hard. We don't, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what he's telling these guys. It's half the team is a new roster to him. You know, how much criticism of him is fair based on this situation? You know, I don't think much necessarily. What I did like with, that happened in the bubble is I like that uh, Pop, you know, allowed his assistant to coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that Nick Nurse allowed his assistant to coach. Um, obviously, they're in different positions, you know, have a built-in culture that, that's set. But I think that that would be, be something, you know, for the younger guys, uh, for the organization, you know, understanding what sort of situation that, that the team is in uh, without having, you know, two stars there to compete. It's all developmental. Like everything is, we're developing everything. So we should be developing the coaching staff and their communication to the players. We should be developing, you know, how the players, re, you know, react and, and, and understand the information that are coming from uh, the assistants that are acting as heads because, you know, they'll be moving back to their seat and that can help, you know, in in-game communication. So I just think there was a, you know, a ton of things that you can do when you figure out that your, your path is not the playoffs. It's, it's, it's not the playoffs. So just figuring out, you know, how to continue to develop, you know, those in-game situations. Being, like you said, being in the ballroom, that's, that is what it is. There's no real execution there. But to take that development uh, phase into the real games, you know, I, I thought that that would have been interesting to do. I, I always say in my professional life, like, don't criticize something unless you have sort of a better solution. So I'm about to break that rule a little bit. But I'm not sure what, what, what he could do differently, but I haven't loved a lot of the post game quotes about like, you know, we're not really lo- like, it's a little, been a little too much moral victory, rah, rah. Like, I, I don't know what else he would st- say instead, but I'd kind of like to see him challenge these guys a little bit more. Like, Hey, we, we sucked on D tonight. Like they did that all regular season and that was kind of frustrating, but some of this has been about consistent effort all the way through I think a couple of these games they could have won but there was a five minute stretch in every third quarter where they just looked checked out I mean I don't know what I'm what I'm suggesting he could do better but it's been a little frustrating to listen to yeah I think it's just I think you're talking about kind of the style and just the personalities of you know his his coaching style and then understanding uh, the personalities of his team and it it is embarrassing man it's you know you don't want to go anywhere and not scratch you don't want to have that that happen I mean you're, you're seeing these guys in the bubble so it's not like you're just isolated and you're just doing your own thing like those guys are looking at you like they're not they haven't won or they're not winning mm-hmm. or so so you have that pride you know that, that kicks in and I think as a coach you have to fuel that like you have to point to hey man look how those guys over there looking at you or yeah, the bulletin board big, material kind of stuff I mean. a, a, exactly but make it you know spin it to a, a positive where it <laughs> completely you know, shines on your team or how they're going to respond to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a way to, you know, keep, you know, you know, pushing those guys and giving them, you know, giving them good energy. But at the same time, you know, you guys got to realize that, you know, it's a grown man's league. And if you guys don't compete, you guys don't give your chance, give yourself a chance to win, you know, at every turn, you know, you won't be around long. And a, a coach can't make excuses for a guy that, that's, that's not around. And we all know as, as players, you know, a lot of times the players are going to be the, the first that are moved. So like you said, we don't necessarily have a solution, but there's definitely some, some energy around having that discussion. It's just tough. Like if they just went 0-8 because other teams were better and they were outmatched, uh, that's fine. But, you know, I think a couple of these games, like you realistically, ha- at the halfway point, you're like, hey, they, they can win this game. And, and how many times during an NBA season do you see it where somebody's best player sits out? Like, the first game that the Wizards played against the the Bucks this year, Giannis didn't play, and they smacked the Wizards by like thirty five. Like that was everybody was locked in from the start. I thought we would see that at least once all the way through here, or you know, two, even three times. You would expect it. You know, you would expect it. I think Dame said it best. It's like I'm not coming here to waste my time. Yeah. And I think that that's you know, obviously he's a veteran guy that knows the track of an NBA player that, you know, you can't waste days or waste moments. Uh, we're dealing with a little bit younger team, but that, you know, that, that's a great comment to have, you know, especially with the times that we're in, it's like, you know, no one should go in this thing, you know, just going into play games and then go home like that, that, that is a waste of time. And, and I think that that's some sort of a, the mindset that, that, that we've taken is that, you know, we'll get a chance to get a crack at it next year. And, 
you know, you don't always get that chance. Yeah, I do think you can isolate it into a few moments of a couple, like uh, Bonga's shot looks cleaner. Uh, Hatchamore looked, his ball handling looked a little crisper at times. Uh, Thomas Bryant challenged some shots. Like there are some some takeaways. So I think hopefully uh, there's some building building blocks here for them long-term. But yeah, <laughs> next week, I hope when we walk into this, we're, we're talking about at least the one in seven Wizards and uh, that would give me a little more peace, I think, you know, as as we wait till next season. Because it's going to be a long break, realistically, before you see the next game. It'd be a long break, man. You, you, you know what? We always talk about winning our last game, whether it's high school, whether it's, you know, you don't get a chance to to win your last game a lot. And when you have the chance, man, you just you just kind of go for it. So today is, is really the day. Uh, hopefully those those Wizards pull it out against Boston, man. They, they set everybody, you know, on the benches, you know, only <laughs> Brad Stevens is the only guy that I recognize out there. I was I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh, I remember him from college. You know, I mean, there was there was a lot of that. So um, maybe let's. Any other final thoughts on the Wizards? Maybe we'll talk a little NBA. Uh, just culture. You know, I think culture is, is an important piece of of what the Wizards are trying to build. Obviously, with the restart, you don't have you know your two main pieces of what that structure and what that culture is going to be like. Uh, but at the same time, you had to play these games. So hopefully, you know, there are some positive takeaways because obviously we've we've saw, you know, some of the negative situations that that have occurred, you know, as far as, you know, playing to the last bill, uh, communication on offense and on defense, uh, rotations and things of that nature. But just really just honing in on on what's going to make you better, what's going to make the team better. And I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing how how it all plays out. You make a really good point there, too. And and. For me, one of the biggest takeaways was as good as some of these young guys are and the potential they have, they would still really benefit from another veteran or two. Uh, you, you lose Jan Mahinmi, which didn't contribute a ton on the court, but you heard a lot of stuff from the guys off the court about how he helped them. Uh, you get Brad back, you get John back, maybe you get Bertans back. For me, uh, the big position in the league right now are, are like three and D wings. I don't know who that is for the Wizards, so hopefully a veteran small forward would come in and and make a big impact. Yeah, I mean, there, there were a few on, on the roster before, so hopefully we can, uh, you true. know, those guys can get someone else uh, to, to fill that, that that block. But I think you're, you're exactly right uh, with where the league is going and the sort of positions that um, that each team needs to, to, to fill in order to compete. You're exactly right. Let's change gears a little bit here. Um, overall bubble thoughts. I think there's been a, a lot of teams that are kind of surprising to watch and, and certain players that are, are putting up huge numbers. Uh, you know, the, the Phoenix Suns, I kind of expected to be in a similar boat uh, to the Wizards, but they've seemed to have really gelled. They've got most of their pieces healthy. I think they've been a big early surprise. I think Dame Lillard by himself has been a pretty, I mean, not that he wasn't doing this kind of stuff anyway, but 60 points in a game like that is, is a pretty tough ask. They've looked really good. Uh, any other teams that have really stood out to you as as impressive, or not so much? Oh, uh, well, yeah, the, the, the Pelicans not so much. Um, the, the Pelicans not so much. I think obviously they they have a, a ton of talent. Uh, they have a you know a, a young player that's if healthy, you know, is destined to be you know something special in, in this league. And I thought that they just just didn't play well. Um, they had a, some things going on, you know, before the game started. That I'm sure kind of factored in what they actually wanted to do, but I, I don't think uh, Ball played as well as he's capable of playing. And in order for those guys to to play well, I think he's going to need to uh, step up, or someone in that spot is going to need to step up, whether it's the point guard or the two guard, or however they want to you know combo it um, uh, with Drew. And I think who stood out to me, and you you've mentioned these guys, is is really Portland. Dame is actually one of my my favorite players to watch. I think I got three. It's it's um, a little J- uh, Jason, it's KD, and, and it's Dame. So those are my top three guys to That's a good list. That, I, that I like. Yeah, that I like to watch, and um, just the mentality that he carries, and how they had the season that they had with injuries and things going, you know, going on, and them still staying the course and pushing through. And as we talk about, you know, culture and, and the veterans, you know, with that leadership. Like that guy and those guys are really driving that bus. And they've stood out to me because they were coming in as somewhat of an underdog. They just wanted a chance to compete and, and make the playoffs. 
and they did that and, and even much more because they they've really um I think put some fear in the guys that are left, yeah. the teams that are left. So no one those wants two to play teams them. exactly. Exactly. Those two teams are, you know, I've watched my negative side is, is the Pelicans. I, I wanted them to to be a little bit uh, better. They have a great roster. I just need to put those pieces together. And then, you know, Portland and what Dame is doing, very excited about about what he's done. Yeah, one of the things I wrote before the bubble was that that Lonzo Ball was one of the guys I was most looking forward to seeing um, how he'd perform in the bubble. And I, I just expected he would be real solid. He would continue making shots the way he had been down the stretch. And he just looked like a different player. And And Zion especially – at Duke, he made a lot of plays defensively, and he looked like he put no effort in on that and in the bubble. That was kind of one of the bigger surprises to me. And I don't know if that's – obviously, everybody's talked about this to death, but is that a conditioning thing? Like, it, it just – that was a very big surprise. I, I would say it's conditioning. I mean, that's – you know, you, you don't get tired on offense. When you, know, when you have the basketball in your hand, I mean, you can, you can go all day. It's, it's when you have to guard someone and make rotations and you know, make second and third efforts where you know, your conditioning really kicks in. And a player like Zion, he doesn't have a lot of wiggle room, right? He doesn't have a lot of opportunities to take days off of, of zero conditioning. And you can tell when he comes back from any time off, like you can see it in his face, you know, what he's gained or what he's not been able to do. So I think that that's going to be a struggle for him. But like I said, I think he has the ability, you know, to be one of the special players, um, especially with the rules that we have in this game today. Can't touch him and he'll jump over you or go through you. So he's going to be a tough matchup uh, on, on offense. Not to knock his game, but but compared to some of his peers that, that have the potential to be all NBA level guys, uh, he's one of the lesser maybe skilled from a, ball handling, shooting perspective. So for him, the motor is going to be so important, I would think. And it just, I don't know, maybe that's just pointing back to Alvin Gentry being on the hot seat there, but but some stuff was going on behind the scenes with that team for sure. And I think hearing their comments in post games, that's uh, not a happy family at the moment. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the league has is, is somewhat put their hand in making sure that you know, primetime players get, you know, primetime exposure, you know, the, the different brands that'll jump in. I mean, you got a number of things that'll fray a team, you know, that'll, that'll get within the team and, and make it not uh, be something that everybody can enjoy in. Uh, but those guys are young. Most, a lot of those guys play AU basketball together. It's like Duke, NBA Duke yeah. there. So I, th- I think those guys are figured out, but I really think it, it their positioning really, Factors. I mean, it factors in on what they do uh, with that one one point guard or two guard or combo guard, however they want to they want to categorize it uh, with ball and what his actual role is going to be. I think we were both on the same page before this week. You know, the the bubble resumed about uh, Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, Raptors, kind of being the the top four. Has anything you've seen changed your your thinking on that? That's that's still my top four. Again, uh, Jason is, is is family, so we're all Boston Boston fans. But at the end of the day, I think the size that Toronto has, the size that Milwaukee has, is going to play a factor in keeping Boston out this year. But I still give Boston an, an outside chance of being in the Eastern Conference Finals for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think just the size across the board is going to factor in uh, when you start talking about playoff basketball and that playoff run. That that's what I see for for those guys. But those top four for me, yeah, Clippers. I want to I want to stay with the Lakers, man, because I'm a, obviously Bron is is who Bron is, and once he you know playoff mode is playoff mode, uh, no matter where you're at. But I know Portland is not a group that that the Lakers want to see. It's a tough matchup. Yeah, my top four. Yeah, it's a tough matchup. My my top four four are going to be the Lakers, Clippers, uh, the Bucks, and also the Raptors. I kind of forgot until they had to play some of these guys because they had people out for various reasons, but the Clippers are so deep. I mean, your third string guys could be, you know, Jermichael Green, Joe Kim Noah, Reggie Jackson, you know, Mark's like they, that's really staggering to me. Landry Shamit, like they, they go 12 deep and, and I don't know that 
anybody else can can do that. And given the how frequently these games are going to be played, I think that's a bigger advantage than I would have expected originally. Thousand percent, thousand percent agree with you on on that. I mean, the depth of when we talk about the playoff roster, you know, the playoff roster, you know, being what it is, but then, you know, only playing six, seven, eight, you know, sometimes nine guys, you know, those guys have the ability to go down the board and then start to switch up, you know, what those lineups look like. So, I, you know, I agree with you a thousand percent. And just given how much injuries seem like they're going to play a factor this year, they, they seem like the team most equipped to survive pretty much any position. I mean, obviously, if they lose Kawhi or Paul George, that makes things tough. But if Zubac goes down, they, they've got a backup. If if Pat Beverly goes down, you know, Lou Williams plays more. Like, it, it's the Lakers don't seem to have that margin for error. Um, you know, even Rondo coming back. Like, they keep talking about that. And I, I don't know how much he moves the needle at this point. Yeah. I mean, what's that, six months off? I mean, yeah, you know, tough. these guys have been, you know, these guys are ramped up. I mean, playing very, very competitive basketball. I haven't seen, you know, this is really good basketball that that they had in the restart. And for a player that's coming in with, from already from a four-month break uh, with, with the pandemic going on and then jumping right into even more intense basketball, you know, he may be a factor round two, mm-hmm. but – Really, you know, those first initial games, I mean, I don't see, you know, anything really happening from a production or execution standpoint. I mean, he's been away for a long time. I wouldn't hang my hat on, you know, playoff Rondo. Yeah, now go out and chase Dame Lillard around. Like, yeah. uh, that, that's that's the ultimate tough ask in the league. Before we close out here a little bit, I, I think they're getting ready to announce sort of the uh, the regular season awards. So, uh, they've got final threes for all the categories. We had talked about this earlier in the year, but now that they've narrowed them down, let's maybe run through it real quick. So yep. the top three for MVP was Giannis, Harden, and LeBron. I think we had both said Giannis previously, but yep. anything you've seen that, that changed that? No, no. Uh, Giannis is, is the MVP for me. All right. Yeah, I, I, same here. I'm going to stick with that one. Um, rookie of the year, John Morant, Kendrick Nunn, Zion Williamson. Uh, for me, that's that's job rent. Again, you got you just got to get a healthy Zion. I mean, we we saw what he did, you know, during the restart. And even if he's healthy, I mean, you know, he's going to give job run for his money. Um, but again, he, you know, can't you can't rewind the clock. So I'm going to go with uh, with job. We were talking about this with Dame earlier, but I always subscribe to like the MFR theory. Like to be a good team, like you need somebody that just like. He's going to cut your heart out if you need to. Like, Lillard will do that. I think Morant seems to have some of that. Where, like, he's not backing down from a challenge. He'll go up and try to dunk on the biggest guy he can find. Like, I, I was really impressed by what I saw with him, from him this year. Me too. Me too. And just really understanding his background and where he's come from. I mean, really start to, to look at his background when he, when he talked about, you know, not having a silver spoon and, you know, the room is what it is. The food is what it is. Uh, those guys are humble. And then when you see him going to court and he's, you know, taking off, you know, trying to two hand on a seven footer, you know, that he, he doesn't care. So, he, he, you know, if the guy that doesn't care and have skills, uh, but also comes from that humble background, he, he's going to be special as well. Just hoping that he stays healthy with how much he attacks the rim. Um, obviously he'll get stronger as he goes along, but his, his, his first year campaign is, is was definitely good. Yeah, and, and Kendrick Nunn's kind of talked a lot about how if I were on a worse team, I'd I'd have bigger numbers. But to me, he's he's been really good. I just don't think they're that close uh, in terms of the way they've played this year. Yeah, no, and and Jaws a true rookie, right? I mean, this Kendrick was kind of came in through the through the minor leagues. Is that is that right? Uh, yeah, he he wasn't drafted, so he kind of worked his way up. Um, so he, he is a little older, and and he played a couple years of college and bounced around a little bit. So he is a more seasoned, mature player overall than than Ja, who I think is just nineteen. Yeah, I, I think that plays a, a part for me just in just in understanding. You know, when you start to talk and when you start to chatter, you know, about what you expect. Just keep in mind, this guy is, you know, he comes from where he comes from. This is his first really experience with the NBA, and and obviously with the players and he's producing, he doesn't care. And that's, you know, that's why I like him. I think the most is that you know, it's, it's, I don't care mentality is like you put your shoes on the same way I do. Um, it's, it's, it's a good mindset to have. I'm totally with you. Um, all right. Defensive player of the year, 
uh, Giannis, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert. I think I would actually go Anthony Davis this time just because they looked like a different team to me when he was on the floor versus when he wasn't. But curious to get your take. I would go with AB as well. His ability to, to switch out, you know, his ability to contest shots uh, and also rebound. You know, my one pick on, on, on AD is that he's on the floor too much. Uh, and that usually happens on offense. So he usually mm-hmm. stays on his feet on, on, on defense and tries to draw fouls. I'm assuming on the offensive end, yeah. uh, but his, I mean, his ability to just to be fluid as a, you know, six eleven, you know, almost seven foot guy. Uh, and like I said, just switch out and protect the rim as well, but also defensive rebound to start that transition. You know, a splitting hair between him and Gobert. I mean, Gobert is a, is a beast, man. He challenges every shot. Like I said, I think the, the value that AD brings to his team on defense kind of pushes him past Gobert. Yeah, I think um, Giannis will get some votes just because he's a, obviously a big name too. But to me, he's kind of got the most help defensively. You can rotate in either Lopez brother, you know, their big presence around the rim. They've got active guards. So to me, defensively, he probably has the most help. So that, that's why I would kind of take him off the table. Um, next one, sixth man of the year, Montrez Harrell. Uh, I just laughed during the middle of this because I didn't even realize they have two Clippers on here. But Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, and Dennis Sh- uh, Schroeder for Oklahoma City. Uh, Dennis Schroeder's been great. Um, and, and by default, let's split the votes for the Clippers and, and give it to Schroeder. Uh, how do you have two six men on one team? It's crazy. Uh, that's very, 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 very interesting to me. Uh, but I understand Lou's history, uh, and that is his spot. And I guess, you know, when you bring in Montrez, who's the energy bug and is very gets a lot done. But I think that 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 I would go with Dennis in, in OKC. I always try to look at that one as like who is like a true sixth man. Like some of these guys are starters that come off the bench. Like yeah. Harold plays, you know, like a starter's role for them and closes every game. And whereas whereas Dennis is a little more of a traditional, we bring him in for for energy and a punch off the bench. Uh, all right, uh, next one, most improved player: uh, Bam Adebayo, Luka Doncic, Brandon Ingram. I, I probably would go with uh, Brandon Ingram on, on that one. I, I think Luca kind of disqualifies himself from most improve. I think that you know he's in your MVP race, right. um, so I would I would exclude him. And Brandon, I mean, he's he's done great. I mean, he's even you know the restart he's done great throughout the season, uh, being a guy who thought he was the guy and was able to show that. I think that that's very important when you talk about you know next steps, next phases for him. I think he can really push. Uh, the most improved player into something uh, greater uh, in the next coming years, you know, all NBA teams, um, all-star teams, things of that nature, and grow himself. I mean, a guy 6'9", man, and fluid, the game we play today, you know, no hands-on, shoots the ball from from a, a higher release point, uh, makes free throws, can get to the rack, has been schooled by some of the, the, the great players, you know, that come through the league. Um, so I see really good things for for, for Brandon. Yeah, in the most like just traditional sense, I feel like his game got the most improved. Like it's his his three point shooting, his ability to space the floor based on the rest of their personnel. Like they needed him to be able to step out a little bit more than he did in L.A. And he seemed to do that. Um, the noticeable omission there is uh, Devonte Graham from Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he gets disqualified because they weren't very good or what, but. To me, that's a guy I would have liked to see just because uh, – get some recognition, even if he doesn't win it, but make the top three because nobody saw that coming. I mean, no one. Yeah, I think when you get players uh, in the league that are that are not on your team that are advocating for you, yeah. uh, then you know you've done your job. Even whether you get the award or not, uh, you you know that you're on these guys' radar, you know, and that's where the respect comes in. And like I said before, man, I, you play this game for respect. You know, you play this game for respect, and it's really respect of your peers. Obviously, the media and the coaches and all those things factor in. Uh, but like I said, when you get your your peers, you know, advocating for you uh, that you should be in place to to win, you know, a, a really important award. I think that you have to give those guys, you know, give those guys some looks. Yeah, credit to Doncic too for coming out and saying like this is yep. this is crazy that I'm on here and he isn't. So, like you said, that I think that really speaks to the impact he made. And then uh, Coach of the Year, uh, Budenholzer, Billy Donovan, Nick Nurse. I think I would go Nick Nurse personally. but Yeah, I just had this debate the other day with, with, with my homeboys, and we were talking about uh, Bud 
mm. and you know what he's done to to potentially win you know two of these awards. And I'm going with Nick Nurse. Uh, I think for me, it's it's what he's done. You know, after you know a, a star has has left the team uh, after winning a NBA's championship and really putting the team out there to be successful. And he he speaks well. Uh, his motivation tactics are good. Uh, he's a you know a Black Lives Matter supporter. Uh, all the things that go into you know being a solid dude that the, the players are willing to follow, and I think that that is very important. I think he brings that to the table. He's very relatable to the to the team. You know, I watch different interviews. I watch you know him communicate on the court within different settings, and it's not just about wins and losses for me. It's about you know what sort of process this guy has put into place, and how many of his players can he actually get to follow it, uh, whether it be young or old, and then what that culture looks like. And for me, uh, Toronto is, is like, obviously we have them in the, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, but they are taking their leadership from a good guy uh, who's also winning a bunch of games. So I, w- I would take uh, Nick Nurse on that one. And when we had uh, Gilbert Arenas on, he talked about, you know, he had more, coaches had more credibility for him when they were guys that had played in the league. And obviously that's not Nick Nurse's background, but I give him credit from, this guy really worked his way up, like, the hard way through the minor leagues you know I think he coached in like junior colleges like uh, that's kind of cool to see that that you just the guy clearly knows the game to be able to get to that point and and not have all just like connections that made it happen or or that sort of thing so that they do gimmick not gimmicky but that they do different stuff that you don't see everybody do to to win games I I really like that yeah that that credibility within your coach man is, is is huge whether they were a player whether they studied the game whether they've come up through the ranks and they've you know, help other people reach their goals. I mean, that that, that stuff is very important. Uh, and then they'll have bubble awards as well here. So I don't know what the full list or spectrum of that is, but just, I guess, bubble MVP. Who's the guy that impressed you the most? I think with everything on the line, Dane, you know, I, I'm always, I'm always going to, anytime Lil J puts up, you know, any sort of numbers, uh, he goes to the top of my list. But I think with what was on the line uh, with those guys, chasing the eight spot or excuse me, chasing the play in game and then chasing the eight spot and what they're able to accomplish. Uh, he's, he's definitely uh, been a special, been a special player for me. And they've been a special team uh, again, because of, of that culture and, and how they brought things together uh, to be successful. So I'm, I'm excited to see that first round matchup, you know, against the Lakers. I honestly feel a little bad for Phoenix if they miss out just because they've like really sold out to like play hard and, and you would like to see that get rewarded. But I think for them, at least that's some positive momentum going into the off season. And, you know, I hope, I hope Booker gets some recognition for that in some way, at least. Yep. Yeah. Those Uh, guys, I mean, they they got a bunch of young talent, got a bunch of young talent, but they've had, they have some veterans that are also young. You know, I think that they're, they're, they're ready for, you know, hopefully they're ready for a change. I mean, I know that there's been some things going on in the front office and management and things of that nature. Uh, but Phoenix is a great place to, to play. Uh, the weather is great. You know, and they have a, a bunch of three or four young stars that I think that um, have a long, you know, long life in the, in the NBA. Yeah, they got killed for the Cam Johnson pick during the draft. And the guy's long and tall and can shoot it. I mean, what's, what's bad about that? He can shoot it. He can shoot it. He can shoot it. Yeah, I ran into him at the pre-draft. I did some work with the pre-draft, and I ran into him uh, in the elevator. We were just talking about uh, what he's going to bring to the table, and that was what he told me. He's like, I can shoot it. And a, a kid that tells you that he can shoot it, and then he actually goes out there and does it, you know, at the NBA level, you know, I, I'm, I'm rooting for that kid. But, yeah, I, I ran into him before the draft, and he was, I can shoot it. And that, that's what I remember. He's like a legit six nine too, right? I mean, he's a tall kid. Yeah, that, that makes a that makes a big difference when when you don't have to worry about getting your shot blocked the whole time. Like six foot and shoot it is a different look than six nine and can shoot it. Six nine and shoot it. Uh, all right. Uh, any any parting thoughts here on Wizards bubble? Any of that stuff? Man, it's just um, just the thoughts on, on being in the bubble. Like I said, the games were, were very competitive. Uh, maybe a little bit too competitive for. Uh, for the Wizards and in and, and their, you know, the stage of growth that they're in now. But hopefully it's a, a way to experience what, you know, what NBA life is like. I mean, this is unprecedented, unprecedented times and things are very different and we don't know, you know, what next season will look like. So for me, it's like, what are your takeaways 
from the bubble weather team, you know, and how can those guys uh, start to promote uh, themselves to be better, you know, get the organization back to where it needs to be, and that's in the playoffs and fighting for uh, something that's meaningful. Uh, and then, then it's just about hard work. You know, just about hard work. Uh, the game is, is really an offensive game, uh, but those teams that are successful lock in on defense. And I think that that's something that they need to carry uh, with them as they think about how do we start to jump over some of these teams that are seven, eight, you know, six, seven, eight uh, in the Eastern Conference? And how do we start to get our name back into that playoff playoff conversations? And, you know, basketball was definitely good to have back. You know, basketball was definitely good to have back. And it was good to see the players at the Wizards draft to get out there and play as well. I feel a lot closer to my normal life and routine now that there are some games, at least for for background noise every day. And I think, you know, just strictly from a fan perspective, I, I would be a little more discouraged if we hadn't talked to Troy. I really liked that mindset, you know, what you, you passed on to him about making sure that everyone else kind of carries that forward. Uh, you know, I hope he takes that to heart um, because if they all kind of feel that way about it and, and use this as sort of motivation for next year, I think that could go a long way for him. Um, all right. So uh, I think uh, we're good to, to get out of here. We can call it a call it a week. And then next week, you know, we'll, we'll preview some playoff stuff and, and talk about, you know, longer term uh, stuff for the Wizards. So anybody listening, if you have some thoughts or comments on, on stuff you'd like to see us break down or any particular matchups, just reach out and let us know. It's Believe in Wizards, B-L-E-A-V in Wizards. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot, Larry. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.